صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, Robert. How are you doing? No, sir, I'm really, really well. It's been an interesting week. Uh, for, with our COVID issues, we're allowed out, which is a great thing. It's Have you been thing. enjoying the freedom? Been loving the freedom, mate. Been loving the freedom and watching the world go crazy in, in the United States. But better than that, better than that, we get to smell, feel and touch Palestine again because we've got a, a dear friend of yours I know, uh, Baha Hello, who is here from, with us from Beit Zahur in the West Bank. And Baha has worked for various education and advocacy programs, including UNRWA, FFIPP, and the famous Olive Tree Campaign. He's currently working with To Be There, a political tourism initiative which provides educational programs that seek to bring justice, equality, and freedom for all Palestinians. So, good morning to Baha. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Nasser. And good morning, Robert. Good morning, Baha. Lovely to hear your voice again. Um, same, same here, same here. Now, before we let the love affair continue, Baha, it's olive picking season. I know you do so much work with the olive tree, the, the symbol of Palestinian steadfastness. Tell us about this season. How has this season been? Uh, well, this, this season uh, uh, has been like uh, good. Like, you know, uh, if, uh, if you're a part of the olive culture in, in Palestine, you know that uh, you have usually a good season and then uh, like a lower or a poorer season where you do pruning and so on for the trees. So uh, in general, like we, we calculate the, the every two seasons together. So I would say like this has been pretty good low season compared to like uh, the, the previous low seasons. And yeah, like uh, the farmers we worked with uh, this year were all thankful and uh, they prepared their trees for next season, which will hopefully be uh, a better one. So Baha, you were saying the farmers you worked with this year. Explain to our listeners what you mean by you worked with them. For the uh, past 70 plus years, like uh, everything in Palestine had been targeted by the newly created uh, Zionist uh, state, which is the, the state of Israel, which has been targeting almost everything, including olive trees. We lost more than a million of 7 million olive trees that we inherited from the Bastions. And that process of destruction of olive trees has been going on hand in hand ever since the state of Israel have been in control. So what we've been doing since, or what I've been involved in since 2006 was reaching out to farmers whose lands in proximity of Israeli military uh, bases, Israeli settlements that are surrounding us in every corner in Bethlehem, by Israeli settler roads uh, behind the Israeli wall or close to the Israeli wall, like, you know, places that have become kind of unsafe for Palestinian families to do their, their olive harvest with this uh, their parents and grandparents used to have. So we take you to, from outside, like pri- primarily like white people, you know, 
that come to visit uh, we call this solidarity tourism yeah 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 this is what i'm heading to uh, so the everybody that has a visa to the state of israel uh, is not subject to israeli military uh, presence like israeli soldiers cannot tackle anyone or harass or attack anybody that has a visa to israel like israeli attacks and oppression are mostly focused on palestinians so the, the, we use a hole in the Israeli laws of oppression where we bring, uh, where we invite people from outside to come and provide protective presence to Palestinian families as they do their olive harvest. Uh, this year, because of travel restrictions and because of COVID, we depended on few people that were uh, in town where we help farmers whose land is near by uh, Israeli like uh, caravans or Israeli settlements uh, and by the Israeli wall. So th those families were like the, the families were focused on uh, in this like uh, in, in this season. Uh, but of course, because of uh, lack of international presence in this season, like the, we, we received like exceptionally higher number of attacks than the uh, than the uh, years before, yeah, they took advantage. Yeah, so they they in the end of the day, when the Israeli soldier sees a Palestinian family on their land, uh, he will probably be more aggressive than if there were like uh, foreigners uh, helping out. Uh, you know, and they took advantage of the fact that foreigners could not travel to help out this year. When it comes to, to olive trees and destruction of olive trees, like you know, Nasser, and definitely like Martin like witnessed that when he was here, like uh, olive trees have been planted in Palestine for the past 5,000 years. Like Martin himself, like uh, uh, him and I, like we spent some time in the shade of a 5,000 years old olive tree. Yeah. Like we're talking about a tree that was probably planted by Greek hands when the Greeks were the rulers over uh, this land, uh, I think around 5,000 years ago. It's an amazing tree too. I mean, you can see, you feel the time of it over the years. Yeah, like you, you wish that tree could speak, you know? Um, so from that time onwards, like we have uh, had like many ancient olive trees that also inspired the Palestinian culture uh, in terms of like uh, religion, the olive trees are... Uh, sacred in all religions that exist in Palestine, be it uh, the Samaritan faith, the, Hebrew, the, uh, the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, the Muslim faith later on. So everybody that believes in God here like knows that uh, all of these are sacred. Uh, it's inspired like part of our culture in terms of steadfastness because uh, you know, uh, all of these live in a very hard and dry conditions. And then when you come to it in the season, uh, in the middle of October onwards, like it gives you generously. Uh, also, like if you listen to Palestinians explaining how their families fell victims to the process of ethnic cleansing of Palestine, many people would say like we were uprooted from our land uh, in the same sense that you would uproot an olive tree uh, of, its, uh, of its land. You find olive trees present in, present in our culture and so on. But nonetheless, like all of the trees like have uh, a lot to do with uh, uh, the fact that it's big part of our productive economy. Like uh, there's nearly 40% of our productive economy comes from 
the olive tree itself in terms of like uh, olive wood crafts, in terms of uh, olive uh, oil soap, olive oil itself, olives as pickled, like, you know, nearly 40% of our productive economy comes from around there. So it's important on a spiritual level. It's important on a national identity level. It's important on a religious level and an economic level. And because of that importance, the state of Israel targets olive trees as well. Because when we talk about like a 5,000 years old olive tree, it means like a 5,000 years of a human presence. And uh, we know that the state of Israel has a propaganda machine that suggests that there was nobody ever here before uh, before Jewish nationalists started coming here to establish Jewish only state. So like a land without people. So uh, you know this like pretty famous uh, and racist motto that says like uh, Palestine is a land without people for people without land. Yeah. Uh, and it's pretty much believed that Palestine is a land without people. So when you bring somebody who believes that Palestine is a land without people and let them confront some of the 7 million olive trees that we have here, you know, that whole story uh, collapses, you know, because like you have evidence that for a few thousand years, like this tree has been looked after, have been harvested, the land around it have been looked after, which means there has been human presence in Palestine yeah. as, all, as all of the trees are. So for those reasons, the state of Israel targets the olive trees and destroys them and uproots them. And, uh, you know, we try, to, we try to show people that this is part of the, the process of the destruction and elimination of the Palestinian society. This is the function of a settler colonialist entity come in and cleanse, clean, yep. destroy, fragment the indigenous people from the dirt. Mm-hmm. I know you said that... COVID has meant that you haven't had as many internationals and under that, without the protection of the internationals during this harvest, there's been a number. A higher number of attacks. Yeah, yeah. So there's been a lot of trouble with respect to many of the Palestinian farmers tending to their fields. And as you said, represents 40% of the economy of Palestine. But there's also been an uptick in the home demolitions. Yeah. So we've been seeing, you know, from here, and I read a report, the Office for Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs from the United Nations, and they said that home demolitions are at their peak Mm -hmm. for higher than they've been for more than a decade. Are you seeing some some of this activity? I would say that it's it's incorrect to say it's the peak. Like, let's not forget that nearly half half a million Palestinians locked up in the Gaza Strip uh, continue to be homeless up until today. Like... uh, Mm. What we are talking about, like uh, the UN intentionally separates uh, like uh, home demolitions, like official home demolitions that are carried out based on, um, you know, uh, Israeli laws. They separate them from home demolitions that are carried out by the Israeli army. Like when the Israeli army blows up your house or blows up an apartment building or a block, that doesn't even view it as home demolition, even though like the home is blown up and destroyed. So we, we, we have a situation where home demolition never stopped in Palestine since the uh, late 40s. Uh, we talk about like home demolitions of, you know, elimination of Palestinian villages, like 531 of them, most of the homes in those communities were not left standing. Um, Now, administrative demolition 
that is going on right now is focused mostly on the Jordan Valley, which is the area that the state of Israel wants to, uh, like, you know, prevent Palestinian families completely from accessing. Um, and it has been uh, also added to the 48,000 homes that were destroyed by the state of Israel uh, in the West Bank only. You know, the occupied West Bank has more than 48,000 homes that were demolished administratively by the Israeli state. I just got to ask, uh, Baha, just for our, our listeners that don't know, what is a home demolition? A uh, home demolition is like when a Palestinian family builds on their land without Israeli state approval. You know? Because they don't get they, approval. It's impossible yeah, for them like, to get approval. No, it's, it's pretty tricky. Like the state of Israel in terms of like uh, city planning uh, does not allow Palestinian cities from expanding their uh, urban plan by an inch. And in some certain Palestinian communities that freeze uh, has been going on since the 50s in the occupied West Bank. That freeze has been going on unofficially since 1967, officially since 1984. So uh, the state of Israel does not allow Palestinians from building on their land outside the urban plan that the state of Israel has for each and every community. And this includes a renovation too, doesn't it? If someone renovates and they're not supposed to, the whole house can go. Renovation... Building a barn, like, you know, this is the area that you would uh, refer to as Area C. Area C is property of Palestinian families, you know. Those families, you know, are not allowed to build on their land in Area C by the State of Israel. Or let's say the State of Israel puts it in a smarter way. They say, like, in order to build on your land, you are required to have a permit, you know. Yep. But then you'll never get that permit. Uh, the approval of, of requests to build on their land in Area C is between 1% to 3% from the requests, you know? So, like, Palestinians end up building on their land, and the State of Israel accuses them of building illegally, right? So why yeah. would a person build illegally? In your situation in Australia... Like you build illegally because you don't bother or you don't want to bother applying for uh, a permit. In our situation, Palestinians build illegally because they are not included in the law. You know, mm. the, same, the same state that builds for you as a Jewish Israeli individual on Palestinian property is the exact same state that prevents you from building on your land as a Palestinian yeah. individual. So it's not like Palestinians build illegally because we are a bunch of people who do not know how to be law-obedient citizens. We, we build outside the law because the law does not include us. So this, the state creates this administrative reality where a Palestinian family is not allowed to build a barn on their agricultural land. They are not build, allowed to build a, a cabin, not allowed to build not even allowed to dig a hole in the ground to collect the rainwater that we are, we are getting in, uh, in winter. Um, so like uh, home demolitions have never stopped. It's a process that has been going on uh, year in, year out, ever since the state of Israel co took control over Palestine. Let's, let me put it this way. Home demolition is a natural outcome of Israeli control over Palestinian society.
we have to accept and understand and you know people it might be very confronting for some people but the reality of zionism the entity that is israel it's predicated on the dispossession of the palestinian and the only way to do it and to do it effectively is to continue the nakba to continue the what is now a slow nakba to create a circumstance that uh, makes life for the Palestinians so unlivable as to mm-hmm. have them leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it has been successful uh, policy in 66% of the cases because like nearly 66% of the Palestinian population does not live at home. You know, like two thirds of the Palestinian population on the planet are denied to live freely at home. So the process of ethnic cleansing, the process of ongoing Nakba has been pretty successful from an Israeli point of view because like two thirds of the entire society are expelled and then expelled from their family property, expelled from their homes. And then you have only, you know, 34% remaining. And those people are the ones who remain on their land that is being targeted by the Israeli state. So um, if you want to look at the outcomes of uh, Zionist control over Palestine, it's not something that started today. You know, if you want to turn or establish a Jewish homeland in Palestine, which was the decision carried out by the early Jewish nationalists we had from Europe when they met in Basel, Switzerland in 1897. They wanted to establish a Jewish homeland in Palestine. That was the political agenda. How to to establish a, a Jewish homeland in Palestine? You had to deal with the reality of Palestine. The reality of Palestine back then Uh, meant that Palestine was controlled by the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire rejected the proposal of establishing a Jewish homeland here. Then who do you go to? You go to the next power. And obviously the next power was the UK. And you know, like nearly 103 years ago, the United Kingdom had the the Lloyd George government. Um, And that government decided to adapt the political agenda of Jewish nationalists by uh, promising to facilitate the process of establishing a Jewish homeland in Palestine. So that was carried out from 1917 and continues up until today, because what we saw from 1917 up until today in 2020 is a process that has three main layers. One layer had to do with the land. If you want to establish Jewish homeland in Palestine, you have to take the land. You know, so taking over the land has been done mostly through violence, through like literally like removing their land. We had nearly 120,000 Palestinians that were removed of their land and communities in the British era only. The British era that lasted for 29 years witnessed the demolition of 62 Palestinian communities, the removal of 120,000 people. You know, it's incredible what has been going on between December 1947 and October of 1949 was the removal of Palestinians from 85% of their land in Palestine. You know, like we're not talking about uh, taking over the land by purchase, you know, 
many uh, like uh, many supporters and defenders of the state of Israel say like, yeah, Jewish people bought the land, and it's like, like you know, like uh, how why would you buy the land if you could just take it by force? That's a waste of cash, you know. So the majority of the land of Palestine, most more than ninety three percent of the land of Palestine was stolen away by violence and wars rather than civilized way of purchasing property. So what we have from 1917 up until today is Israeli control or Jewish nationalist or Zionist control over 100% of the land of Palestine. So the process of taking over the land is a process that started back in the beginnings of the 20th century, continues up until today. The second part of the process of the Jewish homeland in Palestine is the view of the indigenous Palestinian population as an obstacle or as a problem that requires resolution, requires to be resolved. You know, in the beginning, Palestinians were the exact same indigenous populations were viewed in any settler colonial. They are not humans. They are a problem. Yeah. They are inferior. They are this, they are that, like they are primitive. Like if I ask you about who has the primitive lifestyle in Australia, you would say, naturally you would respond with the worst answer ever, which is the Aborigines population have an inferior lifestyle, you know? So in the context of Palestine, Palestinians, are labeled as the people have, who have inferior lifestyle, the people who are undeserving of their homeland. You know, it's not even their homeland to begin with. So Palestinians were viewed as a problem for the, uh, is, the, those who established the state of Israel and Palestine from day one. That still happens now the, uh, in, in the schools. They're obviously, you know, the Israeli schools, there are savages or simple people. And the yeah. guys, before they get into the army, before they're recruited, because they have to go in there, uh, they go in there with a, a, a hatred of Palestinians in our way. They stole our land. And so you can mm -hmm. see how they, you know, it, it builds. And the, the Israeli kids think they're doing the right thing. But yeah, yeah. Because like even the, even the identity of the Palestinian people as the indigenous population of Palestine was stolen away from them, you know? It's as weird as if Robert would go around and say, well, I'm an Aborigine, like I'm a native to Australia, you know? Like you have white people. Uh, I couldn't get away with that. I'm very you have honest. white people in the state of Israel who believe that they are the indigenous to this homeland, you know? Yeah. And when you talk to them, okay, indigenous populations all over the world are viewed by white settlers to be, you know, uh, primitive, savages, problem, inferior, so on and so forth. So a Zionist will tell you like, yeah, Palestinians are all of these things, but I am the indigenous to this land. And it's like, you know, you can't be indigenous if you are not viewed by the settlers to be a primitive person, you know? It's not the ideal country for, for a white person to say that either, because it's, you know, there's a lot of sun, not, not a huge yeah. amount of shade. You know, it doesn't really work. Neo-Nazis and fascists, the context of Australia, New Zealand, North America, like, you know, 
they they are racist and they believe in white supremacy and so on, but they would never call themselves natives to the land. You have Benjamin Netanyahu who believes he's a native to this land, you know? It's just like, it's honestly like Donald Trump going around saying, I'm a native American, you know? But like, of course, like Donald Trump is racist, but not racist enough to come out with a statement like this. Well, we have a lot of people who said they are the indigenous population of Palestine. So the, the view of the, the Palestinian population to be a problem, you know, is resolved by of carrying out the crime of ethnic cleansing of Palestine. Of course, in the beginning, the ethnic cleansing of Palestine by brands and carried out by the founders of the state of Israel, you know, nearly 70 militants like went through Palestine village after village, like committed massacres and atrocities in about 52 Palestinian communities. And that was the foundation of the state of Israel and Palestine by murdering nearly 15,000 people and eliminating the population and communities from more than 530 communities, you know? So the, the removal of the removal of Palestinians, the mistreatment of Palestinians is not something that was invented by the current government. The state of Israel was founded on, you know, the elimination of the Palestinian people. What we see today, like the murder of another Palestinian yesterday on an Israeli checkpoint, you know, it's a form of the removal of Palestinian people. Tell us what happened there though, Baha. You can't, don't just sort of skim over it. What actually happened? Yeah, yesterday, like there was a Palestinian driver driving through one of the, you know, we, we have about 650 checkpoints in a 5,500 square kilometers area. You know, we have, which is really weird. Like Australia doesn't have 650 military checkpoints. We don't have any. There's not one. <laughs> 7 million square kilometers. You didn't have an Israeli government in Australia. Well, sometimes, sometimes it feels like it. It's not a racist government, it's just not... Man, like the fascists in Australian context belong to the left-wing parties in the state of Israel. <laughs> so, so let's, let, let, let's try to, you know, not compare politics in Australia with politics here. Oh, it's not even close, you know? you're right. So, so anyways, what happened yesterday was like... A, Another like Palestinian driver was driving through an Israeli checkpoint. Like uh, he slowed down, an Israeli soldier feared for his life. He shot the first bullet, and the entire unit started shooting at the car, and he was murdered. How many bullets? And then he was accused. I could count fourteen in the pictures, but maybe there is more. Like I, I didn't like see. Like I, I only counted the ones in one photo that was taken of the crime. And then the typical thing is that you have an Israeli uh, spokesperson, Israeli report that accuses the Palestinian for being murdered. So usually the uh, typical accusation is that he was carrying out an attack or trying to carry out an attack. And it doesn't make any sense because he was... No, no, it doesn't make any sense because he just had a baby girl only about two months oh. ago. Thank you. Thank you. I had a baby girl. What should they do? I should go kill myself. Crazy. Baha, we've only got a couple of minutes left, Baha. You know, hopefully yeah. next year will be a COVID-free year. 
tell um, our listeners how they might join you next year. Uh, it's, it's very easy. Like book a flight uh, from Australia uh, to the Israeli airport uh, in, in Tel Aviv. Like Palestine has no control over its borders. Like to come to Palestine, you have to cross uh, Israeli controlled borders. What, what's the website, Baha? To be dash there dot com. To be dash there dot com. We'll put that in the podcast link as well. To be dash there dot com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's we we do have like we do receive many delegations every year. Like our work is trying to provide people with an understanding of what is happening here, uh, because it's it's made complicated for outside viewers. Uh, in the end of the day, the reality we survive through is very simple. Like the de- if you are born to a Jewish family, you are superior by law. If you are born to a Palestinian family, you are inferior by law. I just just going to go back to your tour. I recommend it for for anybody. I did it and was was moved. I did a number of Baha's tours, and they are eye opening, thought provoking, emotionally draining because it's incredible what you learn. But I, I cannot recommend it for enough people to go and do it and be a part of it. Be a, immerse yourself in part of the culture and enjoy it a little bit because there's a lot of dark over there as well. That's fantastic, Robert. It's a great way for us to end the show. So thank you for joining us. And we have to get you back on because I can tell there's at least 15 more shows in you. I'm really sorry. I talk a lot. I, we need to be more focused next time. And I'm really thankful for the opportunity to speak to you, uh, Martin, and also to meet you, Nasser. Thanks, Baha. That was Baha Hello from Palestine. You could tell from the way he speaks, the passion he has and how many more stories he's got. And be sure to check out Baha's website, 2b-there.com. 2b-there.com. We'll be sure to get him back on. In the meantime, tell your friends, share the podcast, and don't forget, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.